Hey, I'm Cody and welcome back to the Daily Declaration podcast. Um, it's great for you all to uh, be joining us today. Um, today, I have a great privilege of being joined by Kiralee Smith from the organization Binary. Uh, thanks for joining me, Kiralee. Thanks for having me, Cody. Right, it's um, really good to talk to you. Um, could you start by g- giving us a little bit of uh, a background to yourself? Sure. Um, I'm a mother of three amazing teenage children that I adore and I've homeschooled them uh, throughout their whole life. And my husband and I run a small business on the mid-north coast of New South Wales and uh, I refer to myself as the accidental activist. Um, I entered this space very accidentally um, just over a decade ago. Uh, And I'm not sure if you're familiar with my background, but I was... um, very instrumental in getting the Hawaii certification schemes investigated at a Senate inquiry level, uh, exposing some of the rorts and bribes and different things that were going on. But that um, really opened me up to, to social media and a social media audience and uh, became very politically engaged and active in this space. And um, yeah, I don't know how much detail you want. I can I can share more with you if you like. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, no, that's, it was, that's, it was, great. that's the sort of journey. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. So what led you to ultimately start Binary? Because that's where you're at now as as an organisation. How did that all come to pass? Yeah, correct. So uh, I was... um involved with uh, a, diff- a whole lot of range, a whole range of politicians, but um, I became a part of the leadership team when Corey Bernardi started the Australian Conservatives uh, through the halal stuff, through Australian Conservatives and some other political endeavours that I'd had before that. I had about 30,000 followers on social media and uh, when we entered into the marriage campaign, the same-sex marriage campaign, I did a few videos that went viral that had over 2 million views. And in those videos and some of the posts that I made, I warned that if we de-gender or de-sex marriage, then we're going to have to de-gender everything else and children would be the primary target of that sort of indoctrination. And uh, unfortunately, that's exactly what happened. I wasn't the only one who warned of that. The Marriage Alliance, ACL, um, Marriage Declaration, so many other people talked about those um, uh, consequences. And so once the, the vote had been cast and lost, in our, in our, no, not in our favour, uh, I was approached by some people who said, well, we're, we are going to have to deal with the consequences, with the fallout, and uh, invited me to start Binary and uh, we've gone from there basically. So for, for the last three and a half, four years, we've been in, very active in this space where we only concentrate on the one issue, uh, unlike all the other organisations who, who do a great job of addressing the issue, but we are specifically focused on uh, the, the gender and sex issues. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, no, thanks for that. It's, um, it's an issue that probably admittedly I haven't... Uh, educated myself or, or been as as engaged on and so I'm kind of having my eyes opened all the time about it but I guess as Christians we're often guilty of not being engaged in some of those really important issues uh, one of the questions I was wanting to to get your thoughts on it's something that comes up a fair bit in particularly evangelical Christian circles is this idea of being distracted from the gospel so could you explain for us a little bit why you think these sort of issues uh, matter to Christians, and are they are they just distractions from the gospel? 
Yeah, absolutely. I'll let you know too um, for what it's worth. I do have a Bachelor of Theology from the Churches of Christ in New South Wales and um, and I've been uh, a born-again Christian since I was 17. I'm now 50, so you can do the maths, but that's a significant time. And uh, I believe this is core and central to the gospel. Um, I'll say a few things. First of all, we know that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life and the only way to the Father is through him. And so if he's the truth, then Christians should be and must be truth speakers and for us to be anything else means that we're not following him and uh, we're not a part of his body because he is the truth so that's what I'd say first and foremost Uh, secondly in the opening chapters of the bible um, God said he created male and female male and female he created them and they were very good so we're made in his image he made the distinction Uh, science 100% backs up the theology in that there is male and female there's no third sex there's no third gametes there's no third uh, reproductive system or anything else this is a fundamental core issue of humanity and if god says that humanity is male and female and it's very good then you know i i think that we're in very dangerous ground if we disagree with him on that Mm, absolutely yeah i guess it's about being whole bible christians rather than just dismissing parts of the Bible that don't line up with the current cultural trends. Correct. And I would also add to that that, you know, there are a lot of people who say, oh, we we need to love, which, of course, we do need to love. God is love. And they will also say, um, you know, that being loving is more important than being truthful. Well, I actually disagree with that. If God is love and Jesus is the truth, then truth is love. And it's not loving to allow, and we can get into this more uh, down the track, but uh, I've been meeting a lot with doctors, specialists, psychologists, and to allow children or anyone actually to go down the path of believing that they can change their sex is not love. It's very cruel very dangerous nobody on earth has ever been able to change their sex they can change appearances they can take on superficial or stereotypical uh, mannerisms or um, appearances or become drug dependent um, to try and appropriate the opposite sex but no one ever has and what we don't hear a lot about is all of the consequences particularly for children on puberty blockers they're not reversible so they end up with very stunted growth uh, usually sterile and um, no no sexual function, a whole range of really serious consequences. And we also, uh, you know, we're often threatened with people will commit suicide if we don't let them transition. But what we don't hear about is the actual statistics after people transition and how high the suicide rate still is because so many realise they weren't able uh, to achieve what, what they wanted to do and that was to change sex because no one can change sex. So I would argue that as Christians the most loving thing to do is to help people accept who they are. They they clearly, people clearly have mental health issues across a broad spectrum of issues. This is just another one of those issues and we don't affirm someone who has anorexia by giving them lap band surgery. We don't um, affirm people who are, who have suicidal ideation by giving them tools to to kill themselves so uh when someone has gender dysphoria we don't need to give them the tools to change who they are we need to give them the tools to accept who they are and i i would argue that's the most loving christ-like thing that we can do yeah yeah no that makes sense to me um yeah i was watching a video by by steven chivara the other day and he was he was responding to this 
uh, claim that's often put forward um, that to to be respectful to someone, you need to use their preferred pronouns. Pronouns. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and the way he, he dealt with that was saying, I think he was drawing a little bit on some of Jordan Peterson's work, was to say, well, actually, if you're in a, a friendship with someone, lying to them is not, it's not actually a respectful thing to do. In fact, the opposite would be, That's would be the case. So we often, I guess, conflate. Um, I mean, maybe we often think that love and uh, speaking the truth are two separate things, but often they're, they're really, to, to love someone truly, uh, we need to speak the truth to them as well. Yeah, absolutely. And be, of course, we need to be respectful and we need to dignify the person that we're with in having that conversation. And there's also, there's two levels. Um, you know, in individual relationships, we absolutely need to be, you know, to show dignity, respect, care, listen to that person's needs and come alongside them and show compassion. Um, I don't think enabling the transition, as I said, is the loving and kind thing to do. But then we also have the ideological level, which are arguments and ideas. And I think that we can be very aggressive in uh, deconstructing those ideas. Uh, and and that's that's it's not the same as having that individual personal relationship with someone. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's really good. Uh, turning to some of those ideas, um, we might have a look at them now. Um, I just thought I'd, I'd get your response to a couple of, uh, I guess, situations that, or not situations, but just ideas that are put forward by, um, by those. I don't. I still don't know what to call them. The the, the woke, um, the woke people, um, or activists. So yeah. maybe maybe one of the, the the points that is often put forward is that this is just about choice and it's about affirming a, a choice that might be a harmless choice or it might be claimed that it's a harmless choice, say, for children to identify um, with their preferred gender. And then I guess it, it goes a step further to say that uh, then, you know, it's a choice to, to transition to be able to fully identify with the gender of um, their preferred gender. How would you respond to that kind of an argument that it's it's really just it's it's a choice thing. Yeah. Um, well, I, I disagree that it's a choice thing. We are made male or female. It's written on every single cell in our bodies. Uh, it's in our chromosomes. It's in our reproductive system. It's in the hormones that we produce. It's in the gametes that we produce. So biologically, it's impossible to change our sex. I would say that gender identity is a personality expression, and that's fine. If people, nobody has to conform to constructed stereotypes of what it is to be boy or girl, man or woman. So if you want to have short hair, long hair, short nails, long nails, you, whatever clothing you want to wear, uh, however you want to speak, that's fine. There is absolutely no problem with that, um, especially for adults. I think adults who, who you know, <laughs> who want to present themselves a certain way in the world, that's fine. It's the imposition of that onto everyone else that that is of great concern. For instance, males who uh, want to say that they're female and that they should have access to all female spaces and services, including sport, change rooms, prisons, rape crisis shelters. Um, I absolutely draw the line there. A male is a male. He will never be female. And I don't think that, uh, that that's, it's, 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 it doesn't help civil society to operate in a harmonious way when we uh, cross those boundaries. For children, it's even more dangerous. Um, well, let's start by saying for children, 
play, imagination, creativity, make-believe, fantasy are an essential part of being a child. Um, you know, so many dogs, uh, so many dogs, so many children prepare, pretend to be dogs or cats and we entertain that. That's fantastic. But we don't make them go to the toilet on kitty litter or we don't make them eat out of a dog food bowl or, um, you know, we don't take them to the vet when they're sick. We, we allow them to play, but it, that play enables them to work out the boundaries of what's re- real and what's not. And so, to say to a three-year-old, a five-year-old, an eight-year-old, a ten-year-old that yes, you can change sex is—it's not truthful, and it's actually very harmful. As I said, we've been speaking to a lot of medical professionals. There are a lot of uh, studies coming out that these puberty blockers that we're sold the lie that they just pause puberty and allow children time to think—it's not actually true. Uh, all children who go on to those puberty blockers will go on to cross-sex hormones and they will have very serious consequences. I referenced some of those such as um, they won't have any sexual function, they won't have any um, fertility or they will become sterile. There's issues with brain development. There's also issues with um, bone density. So these are issues that need to be discussed, they need to be examined, and they need to be studied a lot more because those consequences for children are incredible. Other studies show us that 80 to 90% of children who have no medical intervention, they can change their appearance, they can change their haircut and style, they can wear whatever clothes they like, even change their name. If they um, refrain from having those puberty blockers, once they've gone through the process of puberty, about 80 to 90% of those children will re, re, uh, revert to their natal sex, their biological sex. So they might go through a period of feeling uncomfortable being a boy or being a girl, but 80 to 90% of them without medicalization will come to accept who they are. So I think those statistics speak for themselves. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, it's... <laughs> It is really confronting what, what's going on. Um, one thing I'm interested to know is, like, in your experience, who is this affecting? Like, are there particular age categories, uh, boys or girls? What's what's your experience in that regard? Yeah, well, it's been it's a very very good question, very interesting question that we don't have all the statistics on, but we do know for you know until recently, until the 2000s, this was mainly adult men who would call themselves transsexual um, and they would um, appear as female. Um, But there wasn't this level of activism either. But since the 2000s, since the rise of social media um, and the like, we've seen an increasing and an alarming number of teenage girls uh, identifying as boys. And it's been called rapid onset gender dysphoria. It's well, fairly well uh, documented and studied area and so these are teenage girls a high number of them have autism or on the spectrum in some way a great deal of them also have abuse or trauma in their background they have other mental health issues and this just happens to be another one but unfortunately we're hearing that a lot of these girls present to gender clinics or to social workers and are then transitioning their themselves socially and very rapidly, even within two to three sessions, are being put on puberty blockers. So that's a that's a really high rate. Our gender clinics, some of them have had a 4,000% increase in teenagers presenting uh, with gender dysphoria, and there's a huge number of girls in that statistic. So it's, it is very, very concerning. Wow. 
Yeah, that's amazing. And it seems to be the, I guess, it's pretty, pretty obvious that what's bringing that about is this real ideological push to affirm uh, in the way we talk and um, ra- rather than getting to the heart of the matter, which, as you mentioned, there might be things like trauma that need to be dealt with and that should be being dealt with. We're actually ignoring some of those things. Um, is that the way you see it? Correct. Yes, definitely. And uh, again, the the autism links and, and things like that, there, there are treatments, there are um, management strategies and plans and programs that can um, be so um, so much assistance to people who have these conditions. And what we're also finding is that social media, uh, children are able to access sites and uh, activists or activists are able to reach out to these children and groom them in such a way that they teach them what to say, when to say it, who to say it to. And uh, children who may have either the trauma or or be um, ostracised or isolated in some way are being celebrated once they choose this pathway. And so if you're at a school and or, you know, in a community where you don't feel very accepted and then all of a sudden that you announce that you're transgender or non-binary or whatever it is and suddenly you're celebrated, there's wear it purple days, there's Ida Hobbit days, there's all these special celebrations. It's no wonder that so many children are, are, are walking down this pathway to feel a temporary celebration, a temporary acceptance, but it's doing permanent and irreversible harm to them. Wow. Isn't it ironic that we, um, well, like Victoria and, and now in Tasmania, where we're going as a society to great lengths to try and avoid um, people who might be um, experiencing gender dysphoria or um, other kinds of, of difficulties to make sure that they don't feel pressure in any way to, to let, I guess, um, in the case of gender, let their natural gender just play out. And as you said, most most people end up uh, overcoming that um, as, as they grow. We're going to such lengths to stop that natural um, process from, from taking place, and yet we can pressure kids as much as we want from the other side, like as you say, trying to uh, put put thoughts in their mind, tell them how to... Uh, how to approach and talk to different people about uh, changing their gender. It, it seems to be a bit of a double standard. Oh, it's it's insane. Like when I think of, you know, I grew up in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and it was all about girl power and feminism and um, girls can do anything and we have equal value to males. Now, I'm not a rad femme. I'm not a feminist. I wouldn't even describe myself as that, but I do believe that we have uh, equal value and worth, different roles and different expressions of those roles to the point now where where girls who feel like they don't fit or, or conform to the stereotype are saying, well, they must be boys and that there's activists who are so ready to pounce on that is, is actually heartbreaking. So many of my peers and older women are saying, 
you know, they would have been transitioned because we used to just say they're tomboys, you know, and that girls who didn't like to wear a dress but wore shorts and climbed trees, they're just tomboys. Yet now we hear story after story after story of girls who don't conform to the stereotype thinking that they are transgender or boys who feel feminine or want to express themselves, you know, in that more feminine style that they must be female. And it's absolutely and utterly ridiculous that we're being dragged back to this rigid stereotype um, when we've we've done so much work to break those boundaries and to allow people to express themselves however they like and uh, and and I think on the whole Christians and non-Christians are pretty accepting and and are, are quite okay with people uh, expressing themselves whether it's with makeup clothing names whatever it is but to then have that medical intervention and to say that that's the only pathway and that you'll be penalized if you don't go down that pathway is absolutely horrendous and you mentioned Victoria and Tasmania where uh, Victoria has dreadful laws in place and Tasmania are now wanting to put them in place that even parents would be prosecuted penalized for having a conversation with their own child to encourage them to embrace their biological sex and it, it is it's staggering. I'm exposed to this all day, every day, and I still can't believe what we're facing in these states and, and what um, what the activists want to see happen. Mm, yeah, no, it's it's crazy. I've, I haven't looked into the proposed Tasmanian laws all that much. Um, what are actually the main differences? I've heard that that Tasmania is, is pursuing even more radical um, policies than Victoria has. Yeah, look, I'm halfway through the 332-page document and it's hard going, um, but there is this this real sense of um, real, really strong penalties for parents, priests, pastors, anyone who does not go down the affirmation-only line, which is such a bizarre term, isn't it? Affirmation-only, you know, it's it's actually us who want to affirm the child and say that you're a boy and that's a good thing, but they've twisted the language. Um, so, yes, I... I I don't know off the top of my head what those penalties are, but they're talking about very strong penalties that even to have the conversation with your child will be um, will be penalised. I've found it fascinating so far that um, they they really don't have any strong hard examples of conversion therapy actually going on uh, in terms of what most of us would imagine in terms of electric shock therapy or physical interventions those those things don't happen and no one nobody wants those things to happen what we're talking about is counseling um, pastoral care um, and conversations that they're trying to outlaw so it's quite alarming the majority of People in Australia, in Victoria, in Tasmania are very unaware of these laws and the consequences of those laws. So we have a really big job ahead of us in raising that awareness and making sure that parents in particular have the right and because they have the responsibility to raise their children to be able to discuss these issues openly and honestly because nobody is going to love their children more than their family and the state certainly will not love the children more than the family will. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned uh, kind of public uh, awareness of the issue, um, and I want to get to that in a second. But before I do, you mentioned um, also uh, like women's sports and and some of the uh, implications and effects that this ideology are having on on women. Do you have any sense of how, like, say, female athletes and that are responding with this i imagine it'd be pretty confusing and confronting and at times pretty heartbreaking um some of the the things that are going on within female yeah. sports 
It is. It's it's really difficult, really tragic, and uh, it's very complicated because whether it's at the community level or the elite level, you have the the complexity of relationship that goes alongside these things. So, um, for instance, um, I've just uh, met with a, a couple of times now and posted an interview with Deborah Ackerson. She's all she was formerly known as Deborah Lovely. She is one of our longest and most successful Commonwealth Games champions. She competed in five consecutive Commonwealth Games, two Olympics. She's won countless medals. And uh, she was forced at her last Commonwealth Games to compete against Laurel Hubbard, who was formerly known as Gavin Hubbard. He is male. And in weightlifting, which is a strength sport, uh, physicality matters. Biology really matters. And uh, he was injured in that um that competition so it didn't go all the way through but for someone like Deborah who had achieved more than just about any other athlete let alone female athlete in this country the only question she was repeatedly asked by the media was how does she feel to compete against a transgender athlete and that just staggers me so first of all achievements are being diminished demeaned and taken away from our elite female athletes um she was groomed of what she couldn't couldn't say in the media and the threat hung, hangs over the heads of our female athletes that if they speak out they could be penalized and we saw that in the federal election with uh, the swimmers and when FINA made the decision, the international swimming body, that transgender athletes could not participate at the elite level, some of our swimmers spoke out, including Dawn Fraser, who's the, an Olympic legend, but some of our current swimmers. And uh, there was a massive backlash and uproar. And I, I just find that so disheartening. Um, so someone like Deborah Lovely, the weightlifter, has said that she now knows she needs to speak out on behalf of the current female athletes and anyone coming through because these women feel so ostracised and isolated and intimidated if they dare to speak out about these things. We also know that in America where Leah Thomas um, has been swimming and has smashed all the collegiate records, he has not had any surgery. He still has all his full male genitalia. He demands access to the female change rooms. And those girls have been told that if they object, they'll be off the team. Now, this is just one example, Cody, but I have so many examples from so many female athletes, uh, community sports groups, parents and girls themselves who are so concerned about this because in competition they may have grown up with the boys, they may have grown up with the people who are trying to now uh, take or, you know, encroach on their space. And so there are all these complexities. Nobody wants to be called a transphobe or a bigot. I don't mind anymore because I just think they're ridiculous terms. But I understand that the majority of people in the community you know, if you go down to your local soccer club, you want to get on with everyone there. You've got to do the kiosk duty together. You turn up to training two nights a week or whatever it is. And so um, it's really become this intimidation, threatening, bullying environment. But what's happening is the girls are the ones who are suffering because they're not allowed to speak out. Wow. Yeah, no, that's horrible. Um, and, and within the broader community, um, do you have a sense of how, like, so I read an article that you, published recently about some some surveys that you'd done um, talking to people within key electorates in Victoria. I guess you'd get a fair bit of exposure right. to people just across the country as well. Like what's been your sense of how people um, how people deal with this? And also like what's the level of, um, of awareness? Yeah. So awareness 
on some issues, such as the sporting issue, is increasing. And um, approximately half half of the population, probably a bit more now since the federal election and that was such a hot potato issue. Um, but when it comes to, you know, children in schools being targeted with gender ideology, 50% or less uh, of people are aware that that's actually happening. Um, I have a series of books that I show people that are on the Scholastic uh, website and booklets that go out. These are books that are in children's libraries and are being read to children. And when I show people these books, that they don't believe me that they're actually being read in schools. One in particular talks about doctors and parents can only make a guess at what their child is and that they could be agender, transgender, new choice, uh, third spirit. I mean, words that most of us don't even know. And these are these are aimed at three to five-year-olds. And then when it comes to the parental rights issue, probably only 20 to 30% of Australians are aware that there is even this issue of what's going on. And so the awareness is very low. However, when we show people the resources, when we explain what the laws mean, when we show them the evidence from the education department and all the rest of it, the opposition to those things is up around 80 or 90 percent that most people do not want this ideology in their schools in their sports rooms in their anywhere so there is a massive gap at the moment and that's the big challenge and um, mm. that's the space that binary is operating in and we are raising awareness of these issues but we're also giving parents and and citizens the opportunity to express their opposition and to actively participate in political lobbying and activities where we can um, make sure that we draw a line in the sand so that we can protect our children and particularly protect vulnerable women. Wow. Yeah. So do you, do you find that when you talk to people about, you mentioned that some people kind of don't believe that this is what's actually going on. Um, how hard is it to actually convince people? Because cultures, like, it's changed a lot in the past decade, maybe. Um, and a lot of us, particularly people who haven't been keeping up with um, all the crazy things that have been happening, uh, it'd be a bit of a, a culture shock in some ways. Do you find people uh, are resistant to that or um, you can slowly win them over and, and help them to realize that this is actually what's going on? Yes, yes to all of that. <laughs> so yeah. you, you have people who are so opposed and will never believe anything you say, even if you put the book in their hands or show them the piece of legislation or highlight the part of the Victorian Department of Education that says schools, school staff can transition children without parental knowledge or consent. However, most reasonable Australians, once you give them that evidence, uh, it, it might take a little bit of time for them to react. Um, Unfortunately, the people who are most receptive are the ones who it's already starting to impact their families. And uh, so I'm every day, every day I receive emails from people or messages from people whose child has come home from school um, and one of their classmates has transitioned. I speak to families whose own children have been groomed by uh, people in the education system or online, um, you know, speaking to um, a, a, a coach for AFL who's 17-year-old, uh, one of her 17-year-old players went up against a 140 kilo, I think he was, transgender athlete. Um, now, I don't do AFL. I'm pretty sure you do because I know your family <laughs> is into it, but did a specky up the girl's back and um, 
which I think is just running up the back. Is that right? Uh, jumping um, on their shoulders. And uh, she just collapsed underneath him. So wow. on their shoulders. Well, there you go. So 140 kilo on a 17-year-old girl. I don't think you're going to have many 140 kilo, six-foot, 17-year-old girls playing AFL or any other sport, to be quite honest. Um, yeah, so and, and I'm hearing from these people once this is already happening and they, they are really feeling quite desperate, quite upset, uh, quite alarmed at what's happening and asking what they can do. So it's, it's, it's the, the whole gamut. But um, I think that the largest percentage would be those people that once they're made aware, once they see the evidence, they're very responsive. And I feel very encouraged that we will be able to impact the Victorian state election come November. And we are working very closely with concerned groups in Tasmania at the moment. Um, I'm, I'm actually headed there next week to have some meetings uh, with people down there because this issue is is gaining more traction and we need to, we really need to put a halt to it sooner rather than later, uh, particularly for the sake of the children who will be um, suffering irreversible harm because of it. Mm, no, absolutely. It's, it is encouraging, as you say, that like, I mean, even 80 to 90% potentially of, of, of people, once they're made aware of it, they're really opposed to it. So that is encouraging. Um just to pick up on something you mentioned earlier about parents encountering really difficult situations when kids are coming back, wanting to transition, things like that, or you know, identifying at least as um, as the opposite gender. Um, do you have any advice to to parents? I'm sure you engage with them for a fair bit um, when they encounter a situation like that. Yes, look, I, I mean, I think it's so important. Relationship, relationship, relationship to me is the most important thing and I will always encourage parents and families to make sure that they keep those lines of communication open, that they listen to and hear the needs and desires of the child. Um, it's very important to try and get some professional help and from people who aren't going to go immediately down that affirmation pathway. Unfortunately, on social media, children and teenagers can get access to the names of gender clinics and, and people who will be sympathetic to them. But I do advise parents to try and uh, seek the advice of, there's only a few, but the few medical professionals who will address all of the issues, not just the gender confusion. The other thing I say to parents is um, to be really... Uh, to have a good relationship with the school and the principal where their children are going, if that's what they do, um, and to make sure that they don't feel afraid to make their opinion known. Um, a lot of school principals, a lot of school staff are not aware what parents think and they're not going to be aware unless parents speak to them. So they need to be um, expressing that. I know of groups of um some groups in the community that when there is a wear at Purple Day or whatever it is, that they will contact their local MP, they will withdraw their child from the school for that day and they will let the school know. So we say to parents, make sure you keep a written email trail of all the correspondence that you have with the school. Um, if you feel that you're vulnerable or maybe ostracised or your child may be ostracised as a result of speaking out, then contact us because we can do that on your behalf. Um, but, you know, there's always, it's like anything, there's strength in numbers. So talk to other parents, um, go together and talk to your school about these things. Um, so there, there's quite a few different strategies. We do have what we call the anti-PC, PNC pack that has some very basic entry-level suggestions of what you can do. And then we're more than happy to talk with parents or concerned citizens about these issues and how to, to walk along it. But at the moment, 
it, it it's really tragic a lot of the stories that we're hearing because the there's so few healthcare professionals willing to put their their jobs their reputations on the line I, I'll just share this story with you I can't go into too much detail but it's a story of a 14 year old child who had expressed to their parents that they wanted to identify as the opposite sex and the parents were look, we need to talk about it, not really keen for that to happen. Uh, there was no big fight, no blow up, no, you know, fireworks in it all. And the next thing they knew, the police were at the door. The 14-year-old had their bags packed and were taken away by the police. That family have now not seen their child for 16 months. And um, what it appears to have happened is that that child was groomed online about this is what you say, this is how you do it, um, threatened to commit suicide, the police will be there and you won't have to be with your parents anymore. So we don't even know the level or the degree that the gender confusion had taken root but, you know, a lot of teenagers would think it would be fabulous to leave their parents' house and and, and their rule. But um, these are the sort of things that are happening and, and because it's still such a murky area, these legal processes are taking far too long this child will be 16 by the time it goes to court and so they're already lost in that sense so now that's scary and that's things again that people don't want to hear they don't want to believe these things are happening but they are so you have to be very engaged with your children know what they're looking at on social media know the kind of people they're hanging out with uh, get open with the school and those levels of communication and and if this sort of is raising an alarm for you, then contact us and we'll try and put you in touch with some healthcare professionals who can help you. Mm, no, that's really helpful actually. Um, yeah, it's so hard hearing what's happening. Um, yeah, it's really, really confronting. Uh, like for me, like I said, I, I'm not overly um, overly familiar with, with this as, as an area. Um, very, not very unfamiliar with, with what's, what's going on so it's been really helpful you outlining some of that um turning from parents to the church um like i've kind of mentioned on a couple of occasions this is not something that christians or i've alluded to it at least it's not something that christians talk about very much in fact we seem a little uncomfortable and i know in in my experience it's definitely been the case i i'm quite uncomfortable uh dealing with some of these things and sometimes it's easier to just live in denial but do you have any advice to to the church as a whole and how we can lovingly deal with this issue but also with clarity and um as we mentioned before standing up in a truthful way yeah well i mean information education is always um, really important and we need to understand the issues before we can be very effective in the space um, I don't think it's too hard for Christians to be able to do that. As I laid out earlier, um, God's very clear throughout the entire Bible that there's male and there's female and his um, intention for marriage, his intention for family, his intention for husbands and wives, um, it's it's consistent throughout the Old and the New Testaments. And um, I don't think Jesus did away with any of those things. Um and, and being truth speakers and lovers of people means that, uh, you know, we want to protect them from 
institutional abuse. We want to protect them from uh, lies, basically. And it, it is a lie to think that a, a person can change their sex um, because it's never happened and it never will happen. So I think if we stand on that, we're standing on really solid ground because it can't be debated or ignored. When it comes to... Um, personal relationships within the church, uh, again, I'll reinforce we need to be very respectful to dignify the other person because no matter what it is, whether it's sin, whether it's um, a, a cultural issue that we're, you know, not comfortable with, we, we need to express patience, peace, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, you know, all the fruit of the spirit in those things, self-control. So we need to to do as we would with any other issue and um, and make sure that we're being consistent in those things. I would encourage church leaders uh, to speak about these things uh, with confidence and with grace from the pulpit to make sure that our arms are open to anyone, whatever their circumstance, in any situation, um, and then be wise, obviously, how we go about you know, um, leadership and all the rest of it, because we do have boundaries that are biblical boundaries that must be observed. And I don't think it's any different in this situation to what it is for any other issue that the church might face when it comes to racism or adultery or thieves and liars or, um, yeah, people from different cultures, whatever it is. You know, I just think we need to be consistent in our beliefs and in our presentation of those beliefs. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, you mentioned education. Uh, do you, I'm not sure if you're much, much of a podcast listener, but do you have any, say, podcasts or even books that you would recommend maybe everyday Christians or pastors uh, engage with to, to help them understand these issues? Yeah, sure. Um, Dr. Frank Turek, he's an American apologist and uh, he's got some great podcasts on this issue. Um, might be a little bit fiery <laughs> or um, charismatic for some people, but I've found he's um, very helpful. There's there's a number of books. Um, one was put together by an Australian, I think he's a lawyer, Patrick Parkinson, on um, transgender, Shades of Grey. That's a really good book. There's a lot of contributions from people that I think people familiar with um, the Canberra Declaration, Declaration would um, recognise. Um, Ryan T. Anderson wrote When Harry Became Sally. That's a very helpful book as well. So um, Wendy Francis has put some beautiful uh, children's books out. She's from the ACL in Queensland. Um, so, yeah, there are some of those resources. Um, again, I, I do have a list of them, so if people want to contact me and, and get some of those lists, more than happy to do that. There's also some great support groups online of parents who um, have been or are going through these issues and um, I can connect people to some of those as well that are really helpful amazing that's fantastic thank you um one last thing before we finish would be how can people practically help i guess you mentioned a couple of ways throughout the course of the podcast but um how can people kind of engage at a practical level whether it be through advocacy or financially um even engaging with what you guys are doing yeah, so um, as we we are constantly running campaigns for awareness and education, and um, you know, like I said, we're the only organisation that I'm aware of in Australia that's just solely um, concentrating on this particular issue. So um, we will be actively engaged in the Victorian and Tasmanian campaigns. So if you live in those states and you want to volunteer, send me a message, and uh, we'll we'll 
get you connected to other volunteers who are going to help uh, in those spaces. Next year in New South Wales is the um, state election and all around the country there's different issue-based campaigns that people can be involved in. So um, social media is primarily, you know, we, we can reach up to 1.3 million people a week on social media, which is fantastic. So sharing information and petitions and things like that is always very helpful. Uh, we ask people to join the mailing list because I'm sure it's only a matter of time until we're banned from <laughs> some of those social media platforms platforms, um, raising money for awareness because producing the resources and getting the information out as far and wide as we can is very important. So people who can assist financially, it's greatly appreciated. And um, and these days, uh, you know, a little bit goes a long way, uh, especially in the digital space because it doesn't cost as much to produce as what it used to when we had to produce everything in hard copies. Um, we also need to be getting in front of politicians. So I really encourage people to uh, speak to their local MP and to talk to the ministers in their state. For instance, a really helpful thing that people can do is whether it's the Minister for Sport or the Minister for Women, um, to be able to just ask simple questions. Ask them to define the term "woman." Ask them, you know, what are their what are their boundaries? What are their what do they think the lines are? And express what yours are to them. Because if politicians don't hear from you, they really do live in a bubble, and they really think that all that's going on is whoever the loudest voice is in their ear. So we need to take our um, citizenship very seriously and responsibly, and get involved in communicating with those politicians. We provide opportunities for people to, um, you know, we might have templates that they can use to speak to their politicians. We can do direct calls to politicians on certain issues. Um, yeah, so so there's lots of different ways. So if you sign up as a volunteer or you, you get involved and share our material, then that's a great way of making sure that more people are informed and more people are equipped to deal with this. Yeah, awesome. No, that's great. And um We'll include a link uh, to your website in, I think it's binary.org.au um, for anyone who's who's watching or listening to this. Correct. We'll, we'll include a link to that in the, the description. Um, no, it's definitely some really, really good practical ways that, that we can be involved. And I know it's confronting for a lot of people and it can be... Um, it can be challenging to just get, a, get off our backsides and, and do something. But when we realize what's, what's going on as you've you've outlined really well over the past 45 minutes um i think that's should be enough incentive to to get us out there and and doing something so i really appreciate it good stuff thanks cody <laughs>